I feel a little bit like uh, Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz this morning. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Um, been gone for almost six weeks. Uh, I think I've been here one Sunday in the last six weeks, about six states, about 5,000 miles. Uh, and it's good to be here today, especially when I get to come in. I, I noticed myself in a church last Sunday uh, up in Burlington. Um, they were talking about they had two people in their nursery, and they were excited to get some children back. And, and I find myself bragging on our children's ministry here. And uh, I don't know all of you that work and serve there, uh, but you do a great job. And if I had uh, children, and praise God, I don't have any small children anymore, but I know you love them. Uh, wouldn't give um, a quarter for another one, wouldn't take a million dollars for the ones I've got. Uh, but nevertheless, for you that have children, if I had small children here, this is where I'd be, just being honest with you. And I enjoy, uh, I don't know, they always say it's the children's message when Miss Jane or Derek uh, Drew come up here and share this, but I get as much out of that. I guess that share shows the level that I'm on uh, when uh, I hear that. And the musicians here, Derek, what an awesome, awesome job that is. And I know we don't always... Um, see our musicians that are behind their instruments playing or whatever, but um, man, it makes an awesome difference if you go somewhere and, and it's not there. So um, it's a blessing to be here this morning, see your smiling faces, and I know you probably can't see this far, but my face is smiling also uh, to be here this morning. It is a blessing uh, to be able to open God's Word and stand here where uh, my pastor stands Sunday after Sunday. Uh, sharing the truth of God's Word. We have that opportunity. Not the Reader's Digest, not the USA Today, but sharing the very Word of God. And I hope you take it like that. So if you have your copy this morning, if you would turn with us, we'll begin in Matthew 21 this morning. In Matthew chapter 21, and if you want to mark there, and then we'll jump over to chapter 27, just a few chapters beyond that. But I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud this morning. But um, I've just been thinking this, uh, this last couple of weeks. You know, uh, I'm a history nut. I love history. I've taken on that adage. If you don't learn from it, you'll repeat it. And I know in my own life that's true. So often we do the same things over and over and over and over again. But our, the goal is to try to learn from it. So I want to throw out something this morning. And just see if you know what happened December 6th, 1941. Now, some of you history folks, you've got it right. And if you shake your head, you're beyond me because I really didn't know. And I researched and I couldn't find that many things that were out of the ordinary on December 6th in 1941. But I do know on December 7th, 1941... Our president said something. He said, December 7th, 1941 will be a day that lives in infamy. And remembers that part of that speech. And most of us of certain age, or if you've not got to history yet, you will learn this. I hope you will. That's the bombing of Pearl Harbor. That for that generation and even the, the repercussions of that generation are still, still being felt today and, and what took place. But looking back at December 6th, I can't find many things. It was just an ordinary day, but I want to tell you, 
the next day, the next early morning in just a little over an hour, it seemed like the world was coming to an end. So much devastation was taken in that one small harbor. Just uh, those battleships and cruisers and airplanes, and I've had the privilege to, to stand over the USS Arizona and to see some of the results of that. Boy, what a difference a day makes. Everybody was just kind of minding their own business, going about their way. Some say there was a band competition. Some say it was not. It's, uh, you know, that's found in history, I guess. Uh, I don't know what happened the day before. There was a few little odds and ends things taking place, but nothing of really great historical um, significance on December 6th. But on December 7th, Boy, what a day it was. Now, some of us may remember what happened on September 10th, 2001. I don't. I tried to recall what I knew because that's, that's our generation, pretty much. And, and we still celebrate something around that date. And, but um, the 10th, you may remember that could have been a significant day. You may have had a birth or a death or Something took place, but for the most part, it was not a great day of significance. I looked it up. But boy, what a, what a difference a day makes because the next morning in just a little over an hour also, our world changed. And there was a country singer that wrote a song that said, where were you when the world stopped turning? Things changed so quickly from 9-10 to 9-11-2001. What a difference a day makes. Sometimes what a difference just a few days can make in a life. It can radically change your life. You can look back and say, that day, it might not have been 1941 or 2001, but you probably have a day or a week or a month that radically changed your life or... You changed. I see myself changing. Not just when I look in the mirror, but I see myself changing. And, and change is not all bad. The old joke is, the old adage is, the only people that like change reside in our nurseries. And as you get older, you'll understand more and more of what I say. We do it our way. Now, Elvis did it his way. Frank Sinatra did it their way, or they sang about it, and I'm not sure that was the right way. God's Word shares with us the right way. But I want us to take some time this morning, and let's read a few, uh, just a few verses of Scripture in Matthew. Uh, how many remembers what Palm Sunday is? You know, I know it's not Palm Sunday, but I always thought, man, this would be a great message just any time. Doesn't have to be Palm Sunday, but we know that was the, the day of victory it looked like for Jesus as he rode into town. It looked like, boy, great change was coming. And it was. And it wasn't all positive. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 20 this morning. And we'll read a few verses and excuse me, then we'll jump over to chapter 27. Since when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples telling them, 
Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell the daughter of Zion, see your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus, just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey in its foal. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, let's turn over to chapter 27. Let's see how the end of the story. We can kind of see the first part of the story. We can see how they received this Jesus that came. But let's see what, I guess, a week will do. How it will change you. Verse 20 in chapter 7 says, The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, and to execute Jesus. This same Jesus that rode in? Yeah, this same Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, what should I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all answered, crucify him. Now is this all the same crowd that was crying Hosanna? I don't know, but I get the indication that at least part of them were there. And here's another thing. There was probably a good number of them that might have been crying Hosanna on, the, on Sunday, but on by Friday, they were quiet. They had kind of slipped to the back of the crowd. Sometimes being quiet is just as guilty as not stepping up. We're called to stand. Did you know that? Christians are not called to just be there. We're not called to just be part of the crowd. We are called to stand. You want to see what's going on in a nation today? Look at ours. And I say this without apology. Much of what we see taking place today is because the church, not the buildings, but the people of God have failed to stand. We don't stand like we used to. What is that old saying? You tell I listen to some country music. I like it all. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Man, what a quote that is. They all answered, crucify. I get chills when I hear that. Then he said, why? What has he done wrong? Even the lost are indicating we don't find any fault with him. What's wrong with him? Why would you want to take this man's life? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot 
Well, starting instead, he took some water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. You want it, you do it. All of the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them and having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. May God add the blessing to the reading, not only the reading, but the understanding that we can understand truly God's word and what that just says and what a difference a day makes or a few days make. I want us to just look at this crowd for a moment. You know, sometimes we indicate when we see something taking place, look what they're doing. You know, sometimes we have to look in the mirror and see what, what are we doing? Are we amongst that crowd? Are we the ones that's speaking up? Are we the ones that's standing in the back? Here's one thing. If you don't get anything else the next hour and a half that I preach, just want to make sure you were listening. A Christian is called to consistency. It's difficult. I want to tell you, be honest, it is absolutely difficult. And that's what this crowd may have found. Some of them found this, and some of them just didn't get it. So let's look at a few things as we look at this crowd. Uh, just a couple this morning. We won't have time for all of them, but let's just do a, a couple things this morning as we look at this crowd. Let's look at the fitness. That's a word we don't use often, isn't it? Fickled. This crowd's just fickled. They're, they're easily swayed one way or another. They're just, I don't know, they're just, they're just not there. They're, they're kind of like standing, sitting, standing, you know, kind of in the middle. It's almost like uh, when you're doing the music, Miss Christie, and, you know, your popcorn. Please stand, no, stand up, sit, you know, you're up and down, up and down. And I understand, but this is what they are. They, they, were, they were a little fickled. Because look what it says. On Sunday they cried, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the highest. You know what that means literally? Save now. Save us. We're in need of salvation. Now I can't know everybody's heart that was standing there or, or that was in this crowd, but they, they were calling for Please save us. Hosanna, you're the one. You're the son of David. Did they get it? I don't know. Were they calling for personal salvation? I don't know. Were they calling for a, uh, a uh, salvation of the nation of Israel? I don't know, but that's probably more. But nevertheless, they saw this man as the one that would bring salvation. They even called him, he's the son of David. How would you find they were turning out the son of David. Nevertheless, I mean, not they could have said, hey, I don't know this guy, and he said he brings salvation, but he's not. But they're turning out and turning against the very son of David. Look, on Sunday, a for a grand parade, and almost everyone was singing his praises. Man, I get... Sometimes as a pastor, as a parishioner, you know, just as a member, 
just singing the songs. Wayne, do you get what you're singing? And sometimes I know that our praise team or Miss Christie is leading it, and she's leading these songs, and she knows the words of these songs, and the praise team have sung them over and over. And these songs we sung this morning, we've sung over and over. We know the words to the song, but we under, do we really understand what this song is saying? We don't get to come to, uh, to church. I keep saying this over and over. We don't have to come to church. You get to. It's a privilege and an opportunity to be here. But we know the words to these songs. So listen, not only are we getting a message from God's word today when I stand and proclaim God's word or Pastor Bob or anybody else that stands in this place and they proclaim this word, but if you're listening real close, you should be and you are getting a message when this praise team sings. You should be getting a message. Hey, I got one on prayer this morning. Reminds me, encourages me, as Miss Jane brought the children, how to pray. So that's, everybody knows how to pray. Listen, when I got saved, I didn't have a clue. I still only have a little clue, as most of you know me. But I didn't have a clue, and first thing I told them was, listen, I'll do whatever you need me to. And they said, usher. Okay, tell me what to do. They told me what to do. We'll come down, there's four of us. We'll come down the aisles, we'll stand here. We'll take the offering place and we'll pass those right after we have a prayer. I said, oh no, I'm not praying. One of the guys later asked me, Chairman Deacons asked me, he said, I know you're a young believer, but does praying make you nervous? I said, nope, because I'm not going to do it. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? I said, I'm just not going to pray. He said, Wayne, it's just like talking to me. Close your eyes and just talk to God for the people. About two weeks later, I remember going up to him. I said, Randy, if you call on me today, we take up the offering, I'll pray. First time I ever prayed. Listen, we've got to learn to be consistent in some of the things we do. We have these people saying, listen, I... I They've called a great multitude together and everyone was singing his praises, probably singing and praying and just enjoying themselves, talking to God. And uh, it says something else in John 12. It says the Pharisees said at this time, the whole world has come after him. It must have been a It wasn't four or five. It was a whole large number. It was a parade as he came in to Jerusalem that day. As he rode in on that donkey, that was, was prophesied, he went in and there was a large amount of people there. So much Pharisees said the whole world's come after him. Literally means they are clinging to him. Because they were clinging to him because at that time they acknowledged that he was their hope. He was their hope. I got a question for you. How many showed up at his trial? This whole multitude that they couldn't get enough of Jesus, they were clinging on to him. To on to him. How many showed up? Even on Sunday, bless his heart, Peter was like me, open mouth, insert foot. You know, you've had the foot and mouth disease before. 
It's like the, what is the saying? I have the right to remain silent. I just don't have the ability. Peter said, listen, even if it's my life, I will stand with you. Now, we know the rest of the story, don't we? Peter, quickly, standing. On Sunday, boy, he was all fired up. He was ready to go. On Sunday, this crowd was, even the disciples who stood with him, they were eager to serve him. What did they do? They didn't run down to Walmart. Yes, there was a Walmart. They didn't call it by that, but there was a marketplace. That was the original Walmart, or it's funny, uh, I said we've been gone for so long. Here's been the running joke. If we can find a Dollar General and a Walmart, we can survive. No matter how far back out in the woods we get, and we were back out in the woods, we can, we can survive. But listen, they didn't go do that. They took the very, here's an old phrase, they took the shirt off of their back. How remembers that? They took the coat off of their back. They didn't go get one. They took the very one they had. They were taking off their coats. They were taking off their cloaks, whatever it took, and they were laying it before Jesus, not just maybe to cover up a mud hole. There probably wasn't a mud hole there. They just wanted to show reverence, like the disciples took their coats off their back, their coats or cloaks, and they put it on that donkey for Jesus to ride in. Man, that was a Sunday. They didn't have something yet. They'd go and break the branches off the trees. And they were laying those branches down for him to ride in on something. It was their way of rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. Hey, wouldn't you have done that? Roll out. I think he deserved it. Roll out the red carpet for Jesus. That's exactly what they were doing. But on Friday, they were no longer shouting, Hosanna. But what? I mean, they didn't just say, hey, we followed Jesus, but I'm, I'm just not sure right now, so I'm going to back off, follow him right now. That's not what they did. From Sunday to Friday, they went from he is our Savior to crucify him. Man, what a significant difference. I, my life sometimes, and I'm going, Wayne, you might not be crawling, crying, crucify him. But for what you're doing, he was crucified. Because I can't live that consistent life. On Sunday, they were crying for Jesus the Christ. But on Friday, they were crying out for Barabbas the thief. I mean, they were going totally against what they had started out. On Sunday, they were cheering for Jesus. For lack of better understanding, on Friday, they were jeering for Jesus. That's the opposite. Is my life consistent? Am I fickled like this crowd was? Am I fickled like some of these people are? I'm one thing on Sunday and else on Friday. You know, I don't have to ask you. You ask yourself. How am I? Am I living the same life? Here's what I've always said about church. I said... Honestly, when I felt God was calling me to preach and I shared with a couple of pastors that I felt like God was possibly calling me to preach, you always say possibly because you don't want to get in too deep at that point. You don't want to say yes so far. They said, well, do you feel like God's calling you? I said, here's the way I feel. I feel like I'm a satisfied customer that don't mind sharing. 
because God's done great things in my life. But I want to tell you, even after all these years, there's times between Sundays, revel, the singing, the praise. Oh, sitting over here just a few moments ago and God's Holy Spirit speaking to my heart, just revving me up, getting me ready for this moment. There's nothing like it. And you're ready on Sunday. You're ready to, you walk out the door and you talk to the usher. You say, well, are you ready for the week? Boy, I could swing over hell on a rotten grapevine. I know I could survive. How are we on Fridays? Now, I know it's not easy. And I just question sometimes, what's the difference? Some days, on Sunday we come in here, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. And then in a few days later, we're saying, Jesus who? Or, I don't know, you know, everybody's got their own opinion about who Jesus is. Hmm. Something else I want to look at this crowd. I want to look at the faith of the crowd. Man, look at, look at their faith. On Sunday, they had faith. Now, publicly, they were taking a stand. Publicly, they were out in front of, you know, anybody ever looked because the Pharisees saw them. The Pharisees could see their faces. The Pharisees knew their number. Hey, they could have been in big trouble if the Pharisees said, yes, you, and you, you over there. Man, I saw that one right there. Remember what, Peter? They did the same thing to Peter. It was Peter. No, I don't know him. Peter, you the one that said you'd die for him on Sunday. Yeah, but it's Friday. You know, everything changes on Friday. Friday's my time. I got to have some me time. Boy, I hate that phrase. Please don't use it. I got to have some me time. You know, I served God on Sunday, and I went. You don't know what I put up with on Wednesday night. Those, whatever it was you take, children, nursery, youth, adults, whatever, you don't know what I had to do to prepare for that. So Friday, the weekend is the weekend. The weekend is mine. I'll be back on church on Sunday. Hmm. Look at their faith. They assumed that Jesus would deliver them from Roman bondage and that he would vindicate them before the world. That's primarily probably from what I can get in the indication of what they were hoping for. They were not looking so much at personal salvation. Neither were the disciples looking for personal salvation at this time. They hadn't really got it. There's no excuse for us. There's no excuse for us. We understand that. Hopefully we understand that. If you don't understand that, see me here this morning. See one of the deacons here this morning. And we'll do our very best to explain to you about what a personal salvation is. It was a weak faith at the least. Or at the best, rather. Their faith was based on a governmental change not on Jesus Christ himself. You would not believe the people think salvation's coming elephant or a donkey or something like that. They think the, the future of this nation, of the world, is dependent on them. They're no different than these here. 
And guess what? It didn't work. It didn't happen. And on Friday, their faith had failed when the chips were down. It's easy to have faith when things are good. Boy, you can come in here and I have faith in Jesus. We come up here and we pray for folks. We, we, we go out to the pew. We pray for folks. We pray and we ask God to, to take care, meet needs, whatever it might be. And we have great faith. And somewhere between here, that's maybe what we ought to do. I just had a great thought. If you want great faith, go between the door and the parking lot because we have probably so many that lose their faith between there and there. It's out there somewhere. So let's go out in the parking lot and look for our faith. Because we're losing it somewhere. I'm losing it somewhere. Somewhere during the week, I don't have the same faith that I may have in here. I'm no different than this crowd. What happens when others begin to wane in their faith? How does it affect your faith? When you see people falling by the wayside, I don't care who they are. Listen, your faith ought to be in Jesus. Not even in the man. Now you ought to have some faith and pray, but Paul said, listen, doesn't matter if this man's standing up here behind this podium. He said, if I come preaching any other gospel, than Jesus and him crucified, believe it not. Now I know it may take a, it, you may take a hit in the heart, but don't let it affect your faith. You keep on keeping on for Jesus. You be consistent. Don't matter what somebody else does. I know it hurts your heart when you see this teacher or that deacon or this pastor or that one over there. How in the world I had a friend that was in seminary, and we had, uh, he'd been in a church close by, neighboring city, for several years, and we got to talking, let me just put it this way, he had never truly repented of his sins and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, but he was a pastor, didn't people get saved under him? Well, yeah, but guess what? They didn't get saved because of him. They got saved because he shared the word of God. But it was kind of comical a little bit later on once he figured it out. And his wife, all this time, was assuming that he was a child of God. I told her, I said, well, you going to preach about him? Because he's using you as an illustration. She said, yes, here could be my title, Sleeping with the Enemy. Folks, we need, to, we need to really think about that. Is it true? Even Peter, we said, his faith was tested and his faith had grown weak by Friday. Why do you think his faith went? I don't know. I can't get in Peter's mind. I do know it was a radical change after he really got to see himself in the mirror. I know it changed there, but Peter's faith had failed somewhere during the week. And I wonder this. Now this could be sim just symbolic. But I wonder when Peter didn't continue to walk with Jesus, even to the trial, even to the cross. He, he followed him at a distance. 
I wonder if he followed and stick with, stuck with Jesus, would his faith have remained strong? I remember when Peter was walking on the water, we always say, hey, Peter began to sink. Yes, he did, but he's the only one that got out of the boat and started to walk on the water. But he lost sight of Jesus and he began to sink. I wonder if this is the same thing. He lost sight of Jesus and he began to sink. I know that's when I began to sink. I know that's when my consistency begins to fall away, when I lose sight of Jesus. But I think sometimes we often confuse faith with enthusiasm. Man, they're enthusiastic. Now I joke sometime about the Pentecostals, okay? If you're Pentecostal, that's fine. I'm Pentecostal. okay? We're close on that. My sister-in-law, we were talking about it. We were on a vacation together, and she came from a Pentecostal background. And she married into a married a Baptist pastor. Go figure that. But anyway, Dr. R. G. Lee was asked about that Pentecostal movement when it first really began, kicked off, whatever you want to say, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. But in the 50s, he was asked, maybe the early 60s, he was asked, What do you think the Pentecostals going to go to heaven? He said, Absolutely, if they don't overshoot it. Now, there's something to be said about enthusiasm, but don't let you get confused between enthusiasm and true faith. Some people have that deep faith. You don't see the emotional side of that. And then some people just, man, I tell you what, if it wasn't for the camera, I'd run once in a while. And I came up in an independent church. Don't confuse your enthusiasm for your faith. I think they did that. I think that's what the other ones thought. They had great enthusiasm on everything, but the crowd's enthusiasm was based upon emotionalism. All those words. Don't get those things confused with what true faith is all about in a Christian's life. I've got to move on. one other thing I want to give you. Let's look quickly at the failure of the crowd. This will sum it up. On Sunday they failed to see who Jesus is. Man, there's a great song that I love to sing sometimes. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Somebody explained to me who Jesus is. They thought he was this and that. He was a great prophet. He was a teacher. He was this. He was that. He was the he was going to uh, bring Rome down. I mean, they looked at everything else. But that was not who Jesus is. They failed to see who Jesus is on Sunday. And on Friday, they simply failed Jesus. I said, man, that's tough. That's harsh. She failed Jesus. If I ask you to raise your hand today, if you failed Jesus, you don't have to. But I tell you what, mine would go up really quickly. Don't be consistent in failing Jesus. Be consistent in following Jesus. Here's the thing. I've said many times, they're the real deal. Perfect? No. But they're the real deal. They're doing their very best to follow Jesus. You don't see who Jesus and recognize who Jesus is, you will inevitably fail Jesus in most every area. Who is Jesus? Man, that's a whole sermon in itself. 
he is the very son of God, came down from heaven. Why did he come down? Because you owed a price for your salvation that you couldn't pay. And he paid that price that he didn't know on a cross called Calvary. And that could be the end of the story and your sins would be wiped free. But guess what? Your sins would be wiped free, but that would be it. But that's not our God. God's not God and a merciful God. We talk about, and I love this, if not none of you guys, well, anybody that's been married over three weeks, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd be living by yourself by now. I was told at seminary, well, I wasn't, I was already married, but I was in with a lot of single guys. The professor told him this, said, you better find a woman that loves Jesus. I mean, devoutly loves Jesus, because there's going to be a lot of days that she don't love you. But she'll stay with you because she loves Jesus. I find that to be true in my life. But he didn't just leave it at the cross. That God of grace, when he was buried in that tomb, three days later, ooh, it's good. I remember hearing a pastor say, when he came in, he signed in the register. I'm signing in, but I'm checking out in three days. He didn't just stay there, folks. He got up in three days. And because he got up, I have promised that I'll get up. I won't have to lay in the ground to rock. Guess what I'm going to do? The Bible tells me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord just that quick. Am I ready to go if I fall over here right now and grab my chest? Jace, you run up here. Don't say, bless God, he's gone. You call me an ambulance. You get me some. I'm not ready to go today, but guess what? If he's ready for me, I'm ready. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. That's what I want to put my faith on. To put it lightly, this crowd was unstable. <laughs> I might have been accused of a lot of things, and probably unstable would be one, and sometimes... But their condition was also unstable. Their faith was unstable. And really, even if you look at their emotionalism and enthusiasm, it was all unstable because it did not have a solid foundation. Folks, God is consistent. His message is consistent. So God deserves a people that are consistent. Here's what I found out. I'm still learning. I thought by this time in my life I would have all the answers. I thought if I had them at 21, not true. But at 60, I have still more questions than I have answers. But I do know this. He confirmed it in my heart years and years ago. And I, know I could take you to the place, not of salvation, but where he confirmed it in my heart. That he was all I needed. Everything else. Everything else. Is grace. Everything else. Somebody says. Hey. That's like having mashed potatoes. And gravy. Salvation. Mashed potatoes. Gravy. That's everything else. 
So all he's asked me is to live that consistent life. Not to be one thing one day and something else the next day. You said, boy, that's hard. That's difficult. You don't know who I got in line behind trying to get it, trying to get eat or go to, you know, at the store or at the grocery store. Or you don't know how they treated me. I do. Because I've been there. Jesus does. He said he'd been at all points. Tempted but didn't fail. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a handle on it? So I wish I could just get a handle on this thing. On this thing that tempts me, on this thing that just I struggle with from Sunday to Wednesday to Friday. Don't everybody. But here's all I can tell you. You can't do it without him. And you have to take it. And I know that we've heard this so many. It's cliche. One day at a time. I remember hearing somebody once say, Lord, help me to sin one less sin today than I did yesterday. It's a battle every day. But he's called us. He's commanded us. He's directed us. I don't know how else you can say it. He didn't give us the opportunity to say, hey, if you want to live a consistent life, do it. But if you don't, don't worry about it. He said, no, the world's going to know who I am by your witness. And you living the same life day in and day out. We showed a um, video a little earlier. Uh, Brother Kevin, you might have noticed some things. I, I saw one that I knew. Several years ago, um, we served, we had a commitment with a um, uh, mission organization, the mission place in uh, Budapest, Hungary. We actually worked out in Tolomos. Uh, Brother Kevin and some of the others had gone with us and, and uh, helped there. I was the camp pastor for three different years going there. And the first year I went there, I'm not sure if you went that first year. Actually, I went four years. The first year I went there, it was kind of a reconnaissance trip. I went, I said, well, I'm going to see if we can fit in here, if we can serve here, if God can use our people here. So I kind of did a reconnaissance trip, and me and one more went, and we got there, and they said, well, you're preaching on Sunday. Well, I assume that, but we have to walk about a half, of, I mean, about a mile to the church. Now, you'd have lost about half of our congregation at that point. Walk, walk. Well, me and the wife's going to stay here and study. We're going to read God's Word. We're going to watch it on TV. Nothing to offend those that are watching right now. My wife's been sick since we got back. She needs to be watching right now. I'm going to question her when we get home. <laughs> so I said, okay, we're going to walk to church this morning. So several from the, the camp, we were there, and there was a college there, a small group of uh, young adults that was in college there. And we walked to the church, and, and as we were going, the man that I was walking with, Eric Murphy, uh, he was the missionary, head missionary there. He's in Florida now, uh, still serving. And uh, we started, he said, I need to explain something to you about the church. Because, hey, it was early on. I'd not been that many places, uh, mission field. And, and so I went, and he said, the church is a little different. I mean, it's not the church, you know. Um, remember that one? There's a steeple, and there's all the people. I figured I'd see a steeple somewhere. Not going to happen. As I walked up to the place, um, I saw it said town hall. Okay, they don't have a church, but we're going to preach at town hall. That's pretty good. 
So we walked up there. He said, well, here's the deal on the church. He said, on Monday through Friday, it's the town hall, basically. It didn't say town hall, but the equivalent in Hungarian. I didn't learn the language. I learned how to say bathroom. I think that was it. You know, you got to know certain things. I think I learned how to say Diet Coke. But uh, other than that, didn't know much. But anyway, the equivalent was up there. He said, well, Monday through Friday, it's the community center, it's the town hall, any other meetings, any other function that's going on, it's there Monday through Friday. But now, on Friday night, it's the disco. Now, I've asked pastors this before. How many has ever preached with a large 14-inch disco ball hanging over top of them? But we did. I did ask them to cut it off. No, no, you don't need to run it today. None of the smoke or anything. I, I'm sorry, I just confused some of you. Disco, 70s. Okay, I lost my young crowd right then. Disco, what's disco? Okay, but anyway, I would go explain leisure suits, but I don't want to get into that. <laughs> Nevertheless, it was a disco on Friday night and Saturday night. And my question was, you don't have too many people here in this town. He said, well, everybody comes to the disco. And we walked up and literally raked the bottles, the cans, off of there, moved them out inside, set up chairs, and we had church. It was the community center, the town hall, you might say, five days a week. It was the church on Sunday, but it was the bar, disco, whatever you want to call it on Friday and Saturday night. My hope was they're not the same folks. But guess what? It might not be the same folks there, but it's the same folks here. I'm not naive. I understand. I understand. Things change between Sunday and Friday. But we shouldn't change. We'll have our days. But we shouldn't change. Be the real deal. If you're not, fight to be the real deal. And the first thing you've got to do is you've got to be Walking with Jesus. Here, after a while, you can figure this out. Here is my spiritual gift. When I'm walking in the Spirit, God uses this particular thing or these particular things in my life for good, for benefit, for reaching other people in Christ, helping them, leading them to Christ, whatever it might be. When I'm walking in the flesh, just the opposite most often takes place. You'll figure it out. You know, I've got a loud mouth. No amens necessary. And I don't mind proclaiming Jesus. Doesn't matter. I shared it this week in my faith in Christ. I teach down at the college a couple nights a week. And I don't mind sharing. They allow me to do that when I'm walking in the spirit. But when I'm walking in the flesh, I'm the other fellow I mentioned earlier. You may see yourself in here. It may be something else. I have the right to remain silent. I just don't have the ability. Oh, I have the ability. 
in Jesus. I'm going to leave this with you. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, you're just, you're going to fall flat. This world is too strong. The things out there are too strong. It's just too hard. If you don't get supercharged on Sunday, you're definitely not going to make it on Friday. Unless you know Jesus, you're just not going to get it on Sunday. You're not going to understand as many in this crowd did. But if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, whether are you watching at home, wherever you might be, as we watched on the phone or wherever it might be on your tablet, if you know Jesus, then say, Jesus, I just want to be the same thing Friday that I am right now. That's it. Simple enough, right? No. Don't be fickle. Don't lose your faith. And ultimately, don't fail Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Father, once again, we've come to a close of another service. Father, for most of us in here this morning, I know the children's over in the other buildings, but for most of us here this morning, this is not our first time here. This is not our first time in church. This is not our first time hearing a message similar to this. But Lord, I want to ask that you speak to my heart, you speak to these people's heart, that we be more like you day after day after day. Man, wouldn't it be wonderful, Jesus, to be like Enoch? I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe you can tell me when I get there. But as God was walking with Enoch, it says in your word that Enoch was no more. We've often said that Enoch was walking with God and he got so close to heaven that he said, you're closer to my house, Enoch, than I am to yours, so come on home. Father, help me to walk like that day by day, to walk closer to you day by day. I can't do it, God. Today's Sunday, but tomorrow's Monday's coming. The world's coming at me. I'll be dealing with things of the world. Lord, I need you. These people need you. So I pray this morning, oh God, that you speak to our hearts as we stand and we find these altars. This altar, Lord, to bow before you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.